Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zhou, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by teaching team member Ashanti Pedaway. He is preaching from Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, on the ninth commandment. I know that whenever you're doing a series, uh, sometimes it can get a little tedious. And so as the preacher, you're always just like, okay, what do I do to keep the congregation engaged? You're like, because they might zone out. Uh, So hopefully, uh, this is my third time in the Ten Commandments. Hopefully, you haven't gotten tired of me. And prayerfully, uh, even today, the Lord will bless us with something fresh and new about his truth that will both impact our lives, but then allow how we uh, then impact the world around us. Amen? Uh, Today's text, uh, we have a commandment uh, that I think will ring true as something that has impacted all of us. Uh, Similar to thou shalt not steal, this is one of those ones that hits you as someone who has been a victim of it, but I'm sure there's probably even been a time you've been a perpetrator. Uh, Because bearing false witness, I'd say in layman's terms, is the equivalent of just lying. Yes, there's the legal aspect of it, uh, but if we cut it plain and simple, it's telling untruth. You all know we've been in this for some time now, and as we looked at uh, commands one through four again, it's our relationship between us and God, and then we transition in uh, commandments five through ten in relationship with each other as a community. Because again, God is shaping a new culture, a nation that is supposed to represent him, his people chosen to represent him to the rest of the world. And the beautiful thing is this, is that in being chosen to be a representative to the rest of the world, it's not so they can be standoffish and say, we're better than you. It's actually to be a living witness to then draw other nations into faith in the true living God. And so even today, as we think about the Ten Commandments and we think about its function in our world and our lives individually in 2023 and as a community, it's not just about our relationship with God. It's not just about our relationship with each other. It's about all of it. It's about our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and then how we then show up to the rest of the world. It's interesting because as you jumped into the transition, it said that honor your mother and father. So it's this command that is speaking to how you're supposed to treat or respect your mother and father. And I won't go into that whole message because you got one on it already. But what's interesting is that everything after that is you shall not. So it's this, this command of this is what you're not to do. I've told you how to honor God, I'm telling you the role of honoring your parents, but now I'm telling you this is what you don't do. And so as we continue in that, it's this idea that what we do or what we should not do, the reason for it is because one, it honors God, but also two, because it impacts those around us. Who has been lied on? If you've got a sibling, you've been lied on. (laughs) I didn't do it. He did it. I didn't do it. She did it. As I mentioned last time, it's one of those things that's even within our nation. You don't have to teach a child how to lie. And that is why I said we've all been perpetrators of it because we've all lied at some point. It's easy. And we can go through the various ways in which we say there's reasons, there's justifiable reasons for me lying. 
I didn't want to get in trouble for this. I didn't want to experience this outcome. But one of the things I've even shared with my children and raising them, I say, hey, listen, mom and dad will always love you. We are committed to faithfully loving you. My ask and my prayer and my desire for you as my child, as our children, as we say, listen, always tell us the truth. We can work through the pain of you doing something you shouldn't have done. We can work through the direct disobedience. We can work through the struggle of the direct disobedience that ex existed there. But most important, we need you guys to tell us the truth. Because when you lie, it erodes trust. And the worst feeling that anyone can ever experience relationally is losing trust in an individual. If we look at the church today and those outside of it, we've even heard those words. Man, I don't trust the church. <clears throat> the church can't be trusted. Is the call for perfectionism? No. But the call is for the truth at all times, at all costs. Even if it means you have to acknowledge you did wrong. Even if it means you may have to deal with consequences. Because when you don't have that and trust is eroded, it destroys everything. Again, God is developing his people, his nation, to represent him and his character and his being. But he's also recognizing that, listen, if you all want to coexist with each other in a healthy way, you cannot have lying and false witnesses. You can't have deceit running through the ranks because it tears at the very fabric of your culture, it tears at the very fabric of my character and who I am. Again, this originally in looking at the text is addressing a legal sense. It's this idea that you shall not testify or bear false witness against your neighbor. So in the court of law, if there's a lawsuit, you're not going to lie on your neighbor. But again, I think we can take that into the broader context of not just a legal aspect, but God also calls this to a general aspect of how we conduct ourselves with each other. Has there ever been a situation where somebody who has been lied to has not had something negative as far as the outcome come for them? It may not happen at that moment, and I'm not talking about the liar. I'm talking about the person who's being lied to. You say, well, hey. I'm lying because it's better for them. They, they can't handle this right now. <clears throat> and then what happens is, is when they discover the truth, they're heartbroken. Why? Because they say, you lied to me. I know you were trying to protect me, but now I, don't, I didn't know the truth. And now I find out it was being taken from me. I didn't get an opportunity to decide how I'm going to handle it. I've seen this happen with people with ailing parents, where their parents refused to acknowledge or express or share what was really going on. They actually lied. They lied about their health. They lied about how the doctor's visit went. And then next thing you know, they're in intensive care and all the family is wondering what happened. Persons in their general mind were saying, well, I was trying to protect them. I was trying to keep them safe so they didn't have to handle this. I had to bear it on my own. But what they did was is that they unintentionally did not provide an opportunity for those around them to be a part of the process. 
and they end up being hurt. And it has a destructive aspect to it. There is never a time where you will see a positive outcome for lying. Now, for those who are lying, you may say, hey, well, I've seen some positive outcomes. You know, I got what I wanted. Again, you may get away with it in the earthly realm. There are people who have done wicked things and get away with it. As far as we're concerned, we don't necessarily always get to see earthly justice. All right. However, God says that everything will be judged. And so although we may not see the physical manifestation in the earthly realm of seeing, hey, this is what happens when you lie. There are so many times that I tell people, don't you realize, though, I feel like it's almost going to sting worse when you stand before them. There's this aspect that being caught, caught on earth will actually be easier than being caught at the judgment seat. But there's absolutely no reason for us to be able to stand here and say that this should be a part of our nature and character. And God is being very clear to set his people up as distinctive and different so that they can be examples to the world and draw others to him. But you know what this also speaks to? A false witness serves as a complete disregard of God's character. My mother, who many of you got to meet a few weeks ago, I remember years ago she said to me, she was like, son, you, you need to understand that we don't just, it's not that we represent God. She said it's we represent him to the world. So when people see us, those who are in the workplace, those who see us at the gym, those who see us uh, at our various uh, outings, who know that you're followers of Jesus Christ, they know that you profess this faith in the Lord Jesus and you call yourself a Christ follower. When they look at you, <clears throat> they're not just judging you. They're not just assessing you. They're assessing your God. They're assessing the body of Christ. They're looking at you saying, are they really who they say they are? Is this God really who they say he is? Again, it does not require that you be perfect because we're all going to drop the ball. But one of the beautiful things about being a follower of Jesus Christ is that in our imperfection, we don't boast in that saying, oh, well, you know, I just get to do what I want. But we acknowledge saying, hey, I failed. Please forgive me. That is a witness that can be received. But when there's deceit, when there's lying, people often then will say, well, God is like this. Have you all ever had a conversation with someone who says something about God's character that's negative? Anybody? I know I have. But what has happened is they didn't actually have an encounter with God. They had an encounter with God's people. And what they did was, is they took that encounter with God's people and took the attribute that they experienced with them and then placed it as an attribute of God. Now, we could be theologically sound and say, well, they should have looked at God to have God explain himself and then let God speak for himself. And that is who God is. True. But 
but God has called us to be living witnesses. So you don't get to say, well, they should have studied more. The question is, is how have I misrepresented him? Now, you may say, Pastor Shanti, are you saying that we can't speak truth? No. <laughs> you always speak truth. However, I would encourage you to remember, how is God speaking truth often to us? Has anybody ever gotten a spiritual spanking? Where you just in time with the Lord and the Holy Spirit brings something to you and you're just like, ooh, ah. <clears throat> I always tell people it's important to look at Scripture and look at punctuation, even when you look at the Gospels. Yes, God says some, Jesus says some very strong things. But I think sometimes we, we, we put punctuations where they don't exist. And why is that important to know? It's because oftentimes God is so much more gracious in his communication than we are as humans. God isn't often like, how dare you do that, Sarah? Repent. But we see, even in his interaction with the woman in the well, he addresses her very gently even convicts her of her sin and wrongdoing, but he, he doesn't do it with this picket sign and pointed finger. <clears throat> There's a compassion and love that I think Scripture is very clear of, of how God operates and communicates. And so in that same way, that is why when we even speak truth, it must be saturated with the grace and love of God. Because listen, you can bring conviction without being harsh. As a parent... And this is not to toot my own horn because I struggle with it at times. I'm just sharing the way example I've done it is that there are times where as a dad, you know, we can be hard. And just so you know, moms can be pretty hard, too. I feel like dads get an unfair rap like it's just us. But moms get pretty strong with their tone as well. But either way, uh, I've oftentimes in this very moment, as I thought about the graciousness of God, of how he deals with me, of being very careful of how I then communicate to my children. You may say, why? It goes to the very core of what I talked about, us representing God. Is it because, you know what? I don't want them to take the attributes they experience with me as their father and then pass them to the Heavenly Father. If they see me as super judgmental, it's a very good chance they'll see God as super judgmental. And so what I've even learned to do at times, again, not always perfectly, and I even apologize to my children and ask them to forgive me, is that I will actually... When they've done something that's been direct disobedience at times, I will literally take my hand and touch the side of their face and cup it and say, my son. And address the issue. And again, we are representatives of Jesus. So again, this is not a denial of truth, but it's how you communicate it. Because if we don't, we disregard the character of God. Hebrews says this. In 6.17, so God, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Titus, again, speaks to the character of God in 1 verses 2. Paul, servant of God, 
the apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, with accords with godliness in hope and eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages. So what does that say? God never calls us to do something he doesn't also do. God is saying, thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. And then it speaks because you know what? It's opposite of his very character and nature. The New Testament addresses this issue of lying very clearly. It says there in Ephesians 4, 25, Therefore, having put away all falsehoods, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Again, it's this idea we speak truth. We, we put aside falsehood. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't deceive. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So it's this idea that literally when we continue in aspects of false witness and lying, we're we're continuing in the old life that we once lived in. But we have been made new in Christ. So therefore, let us conduct ourselves accordingly. Scripture even gives something very strong of the impact of what lying does to an individual in this comparison that is given in Proverbs 25, 18. This is what it says about false witness in lying. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Speaks to the idea of the magnitude and the impact It's these very strong weapons that are used to commit violent crimes. He's saying that is what a false witness is like. And it's tragic. In 2022, a Philadelphia man was freed from prison after spending 37 years in jail. 37 years of his life spent in jail came out at 61 years old. And he was in jail all because of a false witness. Detectives had bribed someone who was already being convicted of something else and said, if you corroborate or make up this story, we'll give you this and that and you'll be okay, but it'll allow us to put this guy away. The man that pleaded of his innocence had nothing to do with it. But this one person lied and spent 37 years in prison. And here's the irony. This man ends up then telling the court that he lied. He then is sentenced to prison for lying about the man he put in jail. But the man who was put in jail was never informed. Legal team never informed. And so now the person who lied on him not only served a prison sentence, but then actually got out two years earlier than the man who was finally released. And you say, well, what does this have to do with anything, Ashanti? I'm just speaking to the magnitude of what can happen when falsehoods are presented. It can have life-altering impact. 
when he got out of prison, he had family members there, and everyone's there but his mother, who he so yearned to see. And you know why she wasn't there? Because she had been too disappointed and let down over other times when they were trying to fight his case, and it had not come through. And she could not bear the opportunity of thinking about going there and him not being released. She was in so much pain that she said, I just have to wait until you come. As much as I want to be there for you, I have to wait until you're actually in my home, in my presence. Then I'll know it's real. Lying never just impacts you. Lying can erode, or not can, it erodes and destroys trust. In a friendship, there's never a time where you appreciate your friend lying to you. In a marriage, there's never a time where you appreciate your friends lying to you. As a child, parents, I'm here to tell you, there's never a time where we really appreciate you lying to us. And the reason why God calls us to this is twofold. Again, it's the very opposite of his character and his nature. And then secondly, he's like, there's no way for you to exist as a healthy community and body of people and representatives of me if this is something that permeates your culture. As we think about the idea of false witness, I think it's also important to remember that we are actually beneficiaries of a false witness. We all remember the gospel story, Matthew 15. Those in leadership are seeking witnesses to stand before and basically lie on Jesus. They're looking for them. And they finally find two people who are willing to say what needs to be said to basically make it look like Jesus is more than what he is. That he's this supervillain. When he stands before Pontius Pilate, even the leaders then are saying, they're, they're bringing these false witnesses saying, listen, he's actually trying to come against Rome. But the beautiful thing is, is that when this great crime was committed, when this false witness was proclaimed, God in his loving kindness said, it's okay because I know I must do this in order to reconcile you to me. Jesus, who was there at the beginning to breathe life into man. Jesus, who along with the Father and Son, Father and Holy Spirit as a triune God, allowed his creation to bear false witness, to then crucify him for us. I believe I've shared this almost every Sunday, but I want to remind you, while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, he died for us. We have received one of the greatest gifts that could ever be received, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. But it came through some people who were lying, had evil intent. But God's power, God's strength, and God's holiness trumped it all. So today, I stand here with you, convicted of being mindful of saying, in what ways have I bear false witness?
Am I being mindful of my words? Or am I lying too? The beautiful thing about God is, is that if you are convicted at this moment, there is an outlet. It's called repentance. God does not convict you for you to live in shame. God brings conviction so that you repent and then receive his grace and then walk in the newness of life. So today, even as I know the communion cup will be brought up as we celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection, when all that takes place, search your heart. So that at this moment, it may even be your opportunity to repent as you remember the bread, as you remember the blood, as you remember the brokenness of his body. Again, not so that you can walk in shame, but so you can walk in strength, power that comes with being connected to the one and true and only living God. Let us pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.